0: Hi everybody, my name's Darren. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, that was a quick break, wasn't it? What the flipping hell? Uh, that Bree was brilliant, wasn't she? I came, I came. Uh, I'm from Santa Barbara. I was staying in Redondo this weekend with my lovely girlfriend Emily, who sat in the back for some reason down there. And uh, it came with Emily. It came with Bree, and it came with that thief Heather. You know the one that stole God. How how great is that story? I love Alcoholics Anonymous. We have entered the world of the spirit, and all the chip takers, the, the day counters, and the chip takers. It just it fills my heart. It reminds me why we're here in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know we get sober, we get a good life, but I need that constant reminder. And I have a, you know I'm the worst drunk I've ever met. You know I still have alcoholism alcoholism isn't it's why it's a day by day thing i swear the longer i stick around the more i seem to have alcoholism but i have that daily reprieve alcoholism is between my ears it's not the drinking it's not the drugs it's not the fact that uh, the alcoholism is outside doing push-ups in the parking lot waiting for me to de- take a day off it doesn't it's, it's living between my ears and the longer I stay sober, I swear to God, it seems to. But thank God I have a program to work. I have to work a hell of a program to keep it in check. But I'm just glad there is a solution. Alcohol Anonymous is the last, last place in the world I ever wanted to be. It, was that same for you? Have you seen how lame it is? I mean, on the TV, it looks lame, right? I would watch it on the telly in England. By the way, alcohol didn't do this to me. I was born in Manchester, England. So I'm not having a stroke and I'm not drunk. I'm from, the U- I'm from the UK, but in England, it would show Alcott's Anonymous on the telly, and it would be the world's worst thing, most depressing scene you could ever see. It'd usually have like 14 bald, fat, ugly men in a smoky, depressed, filled room, and one of them might be two weeks sober, and they're all clapping and crying, like, holy fuck. I never, I never want to end up in Alcohols Anonymous. That looks really bad. And it would show like the sober dances and the awkwardness and the women over here and the ugly men over here. And I'm just thinking, wow, if I, if I ever end up in AA and I get the, the gal with more than three teeth, I'll be killing it. Can't wait. Can't wait for that. So it took a lot for me to have to go to Alcoholics. Anonymous. I also had like a preconceived notion of what it means to be an alcoholic what it looks like to be an alcoholic it's what you'd see on a movie or in a tv or in your hometown you know that that person begging for change on the end of a off ramp or the guy who's peed himself on main street or state street and he has a big ugly bushy beard not a cool one like this guy's in the front you know <laughs> i really i hate it that big bushy beards came back in fashion because it's always described my alcoholic as the guy with big bushy beard. You know, they would find their breakfast in the beard sometimes. And so I, I can't be an alcoholic, first of all, because I'm a party animal. Is there any other party animals in here? I used to be good at drinking and doing drugs. So how can I become an alcoholic? And secondly, I don't look like it. No one in here really looks like an alcoholic to me. Well, you know, some of you look like you've had a good drink, you know, I suppose. But for the most part, you're either too young. Too beautiful, too well put together, too business like it doesn't make sense. Um, so it took a lot for me to get here. I remember I'd already arrived in America at this point. I'm not like a, a cute little drunkie, I'm not a cute drunk, I'm not a functioning alcoholic, I'm an absolute vodka drinking maniac of an alcoholic, and so I ended up in this crappy room, a shitty room, in a crappy house on the west side of town. I used to be a drunk bartender till I lost that position, of course. And I was living with three other uh, guys that were working in that industry. They just didn't know what to do with me. You know, I didn't know what to do with me. Um, I hadn't paid rent in months. Uh, My rent was really cheap because it was such a shitty house and we got a deal on it. I'd become the gardener. I'd become the cleaner of the house. I couldn't even do those two tasks. I just couldn't keep up. I just could never get around to it. And they were so mad at me all the time. And this one night, it was, it was midnight. I'm like maudling drunk as usual. They were downtown partying, having excluded me again as usual, which caused more self-pity. And I'm going to kill myself. I'm like suicidal on awakening at this stage of my drinking. And so... I, I decided to reach out to Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I pulled out, I found the yellow pages. And you young'uns will have to Google that shit, won't you? What's the yellow pages? I couldn't find AA for the life of me. That's how drunk I was. It's in the beginning of the fucking book. AA. And I called the number. But this lovely older lady answered the phone. and She was like an angel. And I got it, I got it right out of the way in the beginning of the conversation, I said, yes, I might be drinking too much, Edith, but so would you be. So would you. If what's happened to me, it happened to you. And I started ranting and raving, and she would just listening, and she'd chime in here and there, so nice, so serene. And she said, well, have you, never, have you ever been to a meeting? No, I've not been to a meeting. What would I want to go to them for? I'm already suicidally depressed. I mean, what's the point of going on? Trying to finish me off quicker. I don't understand that. And she made it sound so special that there was a meeting uh, down the road from me the next night, I didn't know there was 200 meetings a week in Santa Barbara. She made it sound so special. And so the next day I came to, I can't say I, I didn't have a drink, because if, if I have to leave my bedroom, let alone my house, I have to have a bit of vodka in me, you know what I mean? Especially if I'm doing something really weird, like interacting with another human. I'm going to have some vodka. And so that next afternoon, I'd I'd just had enough, just enough, so you can't notice I've cracked my mind. i just had enough vodka so you couldn't notice that I've ruined my wiring. And I had just enough vodka that you couldn't, that I could look you back in the eye should you be uh, looking at me right in the eye. Didn't you just hate having to talk with people like that? And I showered for the first time in months. I gelled my hair all sexy, like I used to be able to back then. And I'm wandering into this meeting, And it was a a huge men's stag, luckily. It was a huge men's stag. And it was nothing like I'd seen on the telly. It was a bit like this meeting. It was a big meeting. There was 80 or 90 men outside this meeting hall. And inside, they were smoking fags outside, drinking coffee, having a good time. The vibe, there was a vast amount of fun about it all. And it really, like, enamored me to see this, that someone had gotten a promotion at work and they're all happy for him and high-fiving him. Someone else had gotten engaged. So I thought, this is not what what I thought it was going to be like. And then what happened next? Now, I was sat down. I wasn't, like, mingling or chit-chatting with anybody. I didn't want to catch anything from these happy fucks, you know what I mean? I'm an observer. I was just observing. And then what happened next really captured my attention. Uh, The meeting secretary sat down. Shuffled his papers, about to start the meeting and just underneath the deadly earnestness kicked in. And everybody shut up, got off their phones and respected the meeting and the meeting starts. So I think, well, this is a good time to open my jacket pocket. I pull out a big bottle of vodka, start drinking in the meeting. the guy next to me is like, holy fuck, this guy's drinking vodka in the meeting. I was astounded that nobody else was drinking. I'm like, hang on a minute. Isn't this Alcoholics Anonymous? Don't you have a drinking problem? I had no idea that there was recovery, there's steps. I thought the whole point to these basement meetings, these church meetings, is that we are so much trouble out there. I know Emily and Heather are so much trouble out there that at least for an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, heaven forbid, we'll come into these meetings just to leave everybody out there alone. We'll all be miserable together in here. Chit chat, miserable. Wish you could drink. Wish you could drink. Yeah, I wish I could still drink all that. Shake hands and then leave. I, like, I had no clue. So I, was, I it captured me. Now, I stayed drunk in the rooms of Arcox Anonymous in Santa Barbara for a year. For a full year. I got quite the reputation, I'll tell you. They would say, like, oh, my God, here's that English nutjob walking in right now. Watch this. He's going to pull out a bottle of vodka. And I, and I did. And I did. After about three months, I realized what you cheeky monkeys were doing. You were putting your vodka in a water bottle all nice and gentlemanly and then bringing it into the meeting like you could have told me. Oh, my God. Now, I started uh, drinking aged 13. Now, I thought Nick's going to fall off his chair here. 13, That's wow, that's outrageously young. Like, not nowadays, is it? Nope. What I've realized over the years in AA is he can never outdo anybody in Alcott's Anonymous. So don't even try. 30. I was drinking when I was six. Fuck. Oh <laughs> All right, you, you know, you win. There's this one woman speaker, I always make fun of her. She gives a great talk. She's a lovely lady, Teresa. However, her story, her pitch surrounds the fact that she was drunk in her addicted mother's womb. Drunk in the womb. Holy shit, Teresa. Okay, lady. You win. You fucking win that one, don't you? How can you beat that? You just can't. Now, I didn't I didn't try drinking at 13. I started drinking at 13 every weekend. I was a weekend warrior. And it was good to me, dude. It was good to me. I myself tried some other substances when I was 17 or 18. Now, this is Alcoholics Anonymous, so I'm going to stick to alcoholism. But I did try cocaine once for 20 years. I love that shit. I love speed. I love amphetamines. Anything that will allow me to, to drink uh, brie under the table. You know what I mean? My mates didn't even know I was on speed. They're like, oh, my God. He's a, Darren is an animal. He can outdrink everybody. I'm like, I love that. I'm like, yeah, I'm an animal, dude. They didn't know I was whizzing my head off. You would need an elephant gun, boom, you know, to dart me down. To slow my ass down. But I had a good time. I was, I was a party animal. It was great for me in my teenage years, even into my 20s. Now, I don't want to upset anybody by having too good of a time. You know what I mean? It's amazing how funny people how people can get pissed off at stuff. I feel bad for you if you didn't have a good time. I had a good time. Now, don't worry. I do ruin my life and want to kill myself. We're going to get there but I had a good time. It worked for me. And so, you know, I I finished university and I became an entrepreneur with my brother. Now, my brother's a brilliant businessman already. He's six years older than me. He's very straight-laced. He had a family, had a kid, married, all that stuff. I'm just a wild thing, you know. And and he, he had an idea for a new business, a new venture. And I said, I'm in. And me and him would start this thing. And we eventually bought out his initial business. We became successful. We had dozens of people working for us. We owned about 60 or 70 vehicles. We'd rent them out to people involved in non-fault road traffic accidents. And I was the main man. I was the main man. I was. The, he was a brilliant, we made a good team because he's a brilliant businessman. And I'm a good, like, you know, bullshitter, you know, <laughs> like you lot. We'll call him the marketing director. So, we, But we made a very good team. And so every time uh, I'd rent the vehicle out at an exorbitant amount of money charged to the at-fault person's insurance company, it was just a great business idea. And I'd look after their claim. And every time a check came in, we'd buy another vehicle and the business grew and grew and grew. Within a couple of years, we had outstanding invoices of almost $2 million. You know, I had arrived. The bankers watch with amused skepticism. I've willed some fat checks in and out of his account. I'm driving a nice sports car. I've got Miss Manchester on my arm. But here's where alcoholism comes into play. In my mid 20s, 25, 26, alcoholism comes in and starts to cut me off at the knees. Now, it doesn't, alcoholism is subtle, patient, and progressive. It's not like I woke up one day and I was drinking neat vodka with my big bushy beard, looking for my breakfast. It comes, alcoholism comes in the form of massive amounts of anxiety. Don't oh, you hate that shit? If I tell you now, hey, you work the twelve steps to the best of your ability, you'll eliminate much, if not most, all of that. We, you know, the think, think of that, you know. But alcoholism also comes in the form of massive amounts of depression, and the best description I can give what was happening to me which I now know was alcoholism, is that something really, really weird was starting to happen to Darren. Now, I used to be confident. I used to be outgoing. I used to be good at my job. Now I couldn't turn up to these high-powered business meetings that I'd set up the day before. And I got away with a lot of bullshit because I was the boss. But my brother was on to me. He was always on to me. Now, I wish I could have told him, hey, I'm dealing with all these resentments and I've I've got a 100 forms of fear and... And I just want to take the edge off, but the allergy kicks him and I take the 1st I'd love to tell him all that shit, but I couldn't because what we do is we put on a facade. Now, I'm losing control of my life, but I get a second full-time job at this stage of my alcoholism. My second full-time job is to run around Manchester to make sure you think I'm okay. Because if I can convince you lot that I'm okay, maybe I'll be okay. And only another alcoholic will understand that. Now my brother did think I was suffering from something. He thought I had lazy bastarditis, is what he thought. Because <laughs> I, I couldn't do my fucking job. And so, you know, I eventually get fired from a business that I'd created and started in my bedroom. I didn't think that was possible. Only an alcoholic can pull that off. We're in a we're in a we're in a shareholding meeting, four directors, and I'm not paying attention. I hated those things, hated those things, until I heard him say, yeah, Darren, we had a meeting before this meeting, and we've decided to let you go. I'm not sure what's going on, but there's something wrong. And uh, and I just went, wait, what? And I got really angry because all my fears were playing out. I'd had a sense of impending doom for the longest time. You know, now I know why we have a sense of impending doom. It's because something bad is going to happen because that's the way we're living our life. And so I was furious, so I got up and pushed the table over and went to give my brother a flying headbutt, right? I believe in clear communication. The, the accountant guy tackles me. It's just an awful scene. Darren's been found out moment. We've all had them as alcoholics. Like somebody's pulled back the covers. Darren had been found out. So I was cornered i was cornered and so quicksand stretched all around me trying to plan my next move like any good alcoholic all i care about is getting ahead of the story changing the narrative because you cannot be talking badly or poorly about darren we can't have that and so i went home it was a thursday night i'd already arranged to go out with my mates was anyone else's weekends longer than their week thursday friday saturday sunday and so it was the worst day of my life up to then But I went down to the pub early evening on the Thursday and I I was depressed. I was downtrodden. I had a couple of stiff drinks. and woof, The old fierce determination to win came right back. That's the effect produced by alcohol. And so here comes my mate, Simon, and here comes my mate, Dave. And I said, did you hear about that bullshit today? My brother's a wanker, dude. I built that business up from my bedroom. I can do anything I put my mind to." And they all, and they started to nod their heads and agreed. And that's all I cared about, them buying my bullshit. And a lot more mates came in and now I have an audience and I told them all after another stiff drink, yeah, I don't need him at all. You know, when I was a student, I used to love traveling and all that stuff. I should be in the sunshine. I tell you what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna go to America, that's what I'm gonna do. And I'm gonna become president of America or some shit. Apparently any fucker can become president over there. Isn't that the truth? So I think I think the problem. I think the problem is the shitty UK weather. I think the problem is my brother, he's a right wanker. I think the problem is my girlfriend. She keeps leaving me for stupid little things like my cheating on her and stuff. But no, somebody puts the problem on a a plane at Manchester International Airport and flies him all the way to LAX. And there I am. I came to America just to take the edge off, dude. I came to America for a little two-week holiday 23 years ago. I never made it back to England. I didn't know I was going to circle the drain of life and almost die of untreated alcoholism. I thought i just need a little break. Now, when I go on holiday, I like to have a drink. And now my lack of responsibility, I've got some money. They had to give me some money for it was the worst time financially speaking to leave the business, of course. And they cut me this crappy check and I stay for three months. And then a friend flies over from England and I buy an SUV. I'm drunk for the whole three months. And then we're about to embark on a big tour of America for the next five months. Now, think about it. My lack of responsibility He's really going to mask my alcoholism, even though it's progressive, even though it's not good. I can stay drunk, no problem. I can stay drunk and high, no problem. It's a problem for other people, it's a problem for spouses, it's a problem for the police, it's a problem for bosses. But it's not a problem for me. So an SUV, me and him travel 12,000 miles all around America, 32 states. We see everything the tourists would wanna see. I'm drunk in every little town, city and state. Like I really remember Graceland, that's about all I remember. I had a good time. But by the time it's five months later, when I come back to Santa Barbara, I have seven outstanding warrants in five different states. That means I had a good time. Now, now I have, I, now I have to get a job because I've spent all my money and I become a drunk bartender in my cousin's pub in downtown Santa Barbara. He owns the only English bar in downtown Santa Barbara. There is a god, see, and so I, be, I now if I'm going to work, I have to have a little cheeky drink with me, you know, because if you have anxiety through the roof like I have it, you can't just go to work. Could start chit chat with people; it'd be a nightmare. So I have to go to a Dargan's Irish pub on my way to my morning shift. I go to Dargan's Irish pub to get a few cheeky drinks in to go across the road to the English bar and go to work. I think that's logic, and I think I'm doing my boss a favour. Eighteen months, I'm a drunk bartender hanging on by a thread, hanging on by a thread. I should, I could have lost this man's bar many times. I should have been fired after my first shift. Literally, he just gave me another chance. And we're all covering for each other. We're all drunks. So I'm the worst, of course. But that downtown bar scene is just such a bunch of bullshit for us. For us alcoholics, people can do it properly. But I couldn't. I had to get drunk on my days off for relief. I had to get a good few stiff drinks in me before going to work. I didn't know I was going to then trigger this allergy. I didn't know I was then going to overshoot the mark. I didn't even wake up the next morning with a shadowy recollection of having screwed the bar up. The night before, I didn't know about any of that. And so I ended up getting fired from that bar job too. Another huge Darren's been found out moment. 10 times worse than losing my entrepreneurial position back in the UK. <clears throat> now I was truly found out and I was truly cornered. I, even I knew I had a problem at this point. But still, I'm still not, not, you know, not too sure about going to Alcohol Anonymous Because again, it's for losers and for quitters. And I'm already suicidally depressed. So what would I do that for? And now, so a typical day for me is I would come to, I haven't seen anybody for months. Nobody knows what to do with me. I would come to, and it would be pitch black outside. And I have no idea at this stage of my drinking whether it's night or day. And I would figure it out. God damn, it's, 9, it's 5 a.m. in the morning, that darkest hour before the dawn. Now, I have strong, horrible, warm vodka under my bed because I'm going to need that at first daylight. I'm drinking from tall bottles of vodka and I always have four fingers left in the bottom of it because it's like a science project. That's exactly what I'm going to need to get straightened out in the morning. And so I could only wait literally 10 or 15 minutes before the mental and hellish torture was so bad, so bad that I know I don't want to drink because I know what that means, but it's so bad I'm losing my mind and I have to kill myself. Did you ever have to, you know, when you have to quieten yourself up, give me something to dumb me down right now as so I'm going to jump through the window. And so I'd reach under the bed, I'd get that vodka, I'd slug them four fingers down, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't make me into the cocky, confident Darren anymore. It would just about remove the suicide thoughts, just about enough. And now I've finished that bottle of vodka, and it's not even 6 a.m., and here's the problem. I've just fed the beast, and now the beast needs feeding, do you? And so I've got to put on my smelly, baggy clothing to go one block to Foodland Liquor Store to to steal my two big bottles of vodka. And one morning I'm going to Foodland and I catch my reflection in a big shop front window. It's so outrageous. I come back to have a look. Whoa. And I go right up to my reflection. My hair is everywhere and matted down. I have a big-ass, scruffy beard. I'm sunken down, I'm so underweight, yellow with jaundice. I look 15 years older than I should have. And I went right up to my reflection. I said to myself, wow, I'd better not tell anyone about that. And I carried on to food then. And I picked up my two big bottles of vodka and I went clinking off home. Now, you can't just go home, pull the vodka out, pass out, drink lot, pass out. No, 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 no. It's like a science project. That first bottle is immensely important that it gets me into the early afternoon. Immensely important. Because that second bottle has to get me into the evening, leaving enough to get me into the evening because I'm trying to get to 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or even 11 o'clock at night because I'm trying to catch a good enough sleep where I might be able to wake up and not have to drink like that ever again. And it says the mind and body are marvellous mechanism. I drank like that for two more years. Two more years of jails, institutions, and death. Those are the only three outcomes for an alcoholic of my type, of the book's type, maybe of your type. I'm going to jail. I'm go- and then I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous that final year of drinking. I'm going to jail. I'm going to the institutions. I'm going to detoxes. I'm going to hospital. I'm going to the drunk tank. Finally, I'm going to the lockdown psychiatric unit regularly. Death is next. You can't scare me with death at this stage of drinking. It's like, bring it on, dude. Bring it on. But alcoholism doesn't have the dignity to take us quickly. Some of us don't die. My fear is not dying an alcoholic death. My fear is living an alcoholic life. Day after day, month after month, year after year. And here's how I got sober. I came to one morning and there was no vodka in my bed. That had never, ever happened to me before. There wasn't even an empty bottle. And I took it as a sign, this is the day I'm gonna kill myself. And I was fine with that. Two months before I tried to kill myself, all my roommates were downtown partying having excluded me again. It's midnight, I'm maudlin drunk. And I remembered one of them has an arsenal of weapons. And so I broke into his bedroom I jimmy the door, busted into the room, all the guns and rifles, a, everything was everywhere. And I found a loaded revolver. Now I'm English. I don't quite know what I'm doing with a gun, but I found a loaded revolver. I went stumbling into the living room, sat down on the couch. I remember I put it in my mouth. It was heavy, cold on my teeth. I'm thinking, wait, do you blow the back of your head off or do you shoot up through the roof of your mouth? And as I'm thinking this through, the thought came to me, Darren, it's midnight. If you pull the trigger right now, you'll definitely wake the neighbors up. I'm too polite for that shit. You know what I mean? So I didn't fucking kill myself. I threw the gun back in the room and went crying off to my bed. A month after that, I tried to kill myself again. I found a huge bottle of pills. Now, I Googled it. This should have killed a goddamn elephant. I took the whole bottle of pills, washed it down with a whole bottle of vodka, and I came to the next morning. I had a rotten stomach for well over a month, but some of us don't die. But today. Today was the day I'm going to kill myself. I stayed in my bedroom for a couple of hours, deliberating how to do it, and then I decided to throw myself off Santa Barbara's biggest bridge. It's called Cold Springs Bridge. It's a bit like the Golden Gate for our area. My car, luckily, was outside the house, my beat-up shitty vehicle. I I used to lose that thing all the time. Car is outside. I go all the way up the mountain road, park it, walk to the centre of the bridge, and I pause... Before throwing myself off, I paused because I know it's going to kill my mum. And I know that would kill kill her. Stone cold dead. And as I paused, Grace came in, in the form of a man who called me out on my bullshit in Alcott's Anonymous. I used to show I was going to kill myself, that AA doesn't work, this is bullshit. And he called me and said, Darren, you yeah, you might well kill yourself. You won't be the first and you won't be the last. But you can't say AA doesn't work. First, And I'm like, Screw you, old man. I've been coming here for a year. He said, oh, well, Darren, first of all, you should come sober. It works better. <laughs> now, even I can get sober. I just can't stay sober. Every time I came out, any institution or jail, I was sober. And he said, "A drunk like you, you need to get a sponsor. You need to work the 12 steps and have a psychic change. Thank God he was telling me the truth. If you're new, hear that. Bree was drinking and going to meetings. It didn't work the same for me going to meetings 1990 90, all this bullshit go to 180 and 90 it's not enough for an alcoholic of my type so so i told him to screw you and he said screw you but in, i knew i had two secrets two secrets in Alcoholics Honest. one was i didn't have a sponsor and the other one was i wasn't working the steps but you lot sure as shit kept talking about them so i decided to go down back downtown to santa barbara go to Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital emergency room. I drove all the way down and parked in my usual spot because I'd been there four times already that year. I knew I needed to be medically detoxed. I knew that about myself at this stage Am my drinking. It's about 10.45, uh, 11 a.m. As I pulled into the parking lot, I sideswiped the car next to me. I've just driven down a goddamn mountain road and I crash in the car park of the hospital, the emergency room. There's security there, the cops are around the corner, they come around, two cops, one goes behind me, one comes right up to me, and he's about to say something and just says, Whoa, have you been drinking? And I think that's a weird first question. Like, no, mate, have you? They don't like that approach. He makes me do some field sobriety tests. I do them all perfectly. He's pissed. He's pissed. Looks at his colleagues, colleagues like this, said you're doing some more. I do them all perfectly he eventually asked me to blow into his breathalyzer and I blow a 0.32. And I haven't even had a drink yet. I'm waking up at a point three two. Then I'm drinking two big bottles of vodka. So they they cannot believe it at all. I'm sober as a judge. Most people that are over a 0.3, vital organs tend to shit off. Not you lot. I mean, normal people. At a point four it's a medical fact that most people will fall into a coma and many of them would die. So the tolerance level is outrageous. Now I see him get the handcuffs off and come towards me and I start to panic like, Oh my God, I've, I've detoxed in jail before. You don't want to do that. And I, and I start to use the language of outputs anonymous and something magical starts to happen. I've already decided to come here and do the deal. And then I started to tell him, look, I need to get a sponsor. You need to let me into the lockdown psychiatric unit. They got a file on me in there. You need to let me go back to A and do this deal. And of course, they arrest me, but he magically agrees to take me to jail to book me in and take me back to the lockdown psychiatric unit, which felt so much safer to me. And so I'm handcuffed in the back of the squad car. We're going to the uh, police station and the radio ahead to tell their colleagues, hey, we've got this irishman and he blew a point three two i said i'm english you moron okay they booked me in there after a couple of hours they take me back to the lockdown psychiatric unit one more time so what i'd literally gotten drunk twice on the way home from there before but this time i'd hit bottom and hitting bottom for me gets misrepresented in the rooms of aa a lot hitting bottom for me is very particular It's It's not your outside circumstances. It's very rarely your worst drunk. This wasn't my worst drunk. But it hit bottom because I was about to do two things. I was about to ask somebody for help and follow through with all the directions. Think about it. The rest is just a bunch of bullshit from your and my war story. And so they take me back to the lockdown psychiatric unit, take me up the elevator to the fifth floor. It locks behind me. The door locks behind me. I'm in there. And you know what? I, You know, I'm about to get sober, but I need to be medically detoxed. And I love some lockdown psychiatric unit, me. It sounds a bit depressing, and it is a bit like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. You young'uns will have to Google that shit and all. But I know what's coming my way, man. A lot of narcotics are coming my way. And that's exactly what I need And start to be jittery and nervous and all that good stuff. And I know the drill. I know the drill, what to do. You go see the, the woman behind the little window for medications. And I go up to the window and she knows me and I know her. And I'm like, how are you doing, Mary, love? Did you have a nice Christmas? Yeah. (laughs) I said, Mary, she's a shaking red. Mary, I'm going to need my usual cocktail. I would like 118 volumes, two pints of Will whatever the fuck they are on the top shelf, those pink things look amazing. And I'll have my usual room, unless that's taken, and I'd like the penthouse suite. She's shaking her head, gives me all these medications. I take all the meds. 15 minutes, woof, loaded to the gills. She takes my laces off me. She takes my belt off me so I don't hang myself in this happy place. They used to put you in a, in a hospital robe and so you take your clothes off, put a robe on. Now I'm loaded to the gills. I'm loaded to the gills so now I can start judging people again. Two hours ago, I wanted to kill myself. Now I'm lord of the manor about to look for my next victim. Now, I know exactly what I need to do in this lockdown psychiatric unit. I know exactly what I need to do. I need to find myself a little girlfriend in this lockdown psychiatric unit. Isn't that what you do? And I go walking down the, the hallway, loaded to the gills, open it, because we all, everybody hangs out in the day room, right, the TV room. I slam the door open so it hits the wall, and everybody looks around to see Lord of the fucking psychos. And I'm looking for my next victim, and I see some girl over here banging her head against the wall. Like, look at these fucking losers. Some other guy over here is talking to himself. And then I see her. I see her. Oh, my God, she's gorgeous. She's got this long black hair in front of her face. And she's doing laps around the couch, just going around the couch, going, oh, oh, oh." just doing laps around the couch. I'm like, fucking look at that. Oh, my God, she's gorgeous. She's got unusually long arms and this hair in front of her face. She looks like that girl out of that movie, the fucking Ringo or some shit. And I slide in there and I grab her by the hand and we do some laps around the couch till, till we fall in madly in love with each other. And then they detox me from the alcohol with the drugs they give me. And then they detox me from the drugs. And 11 days later, they pop me out sober one more time. So what? Here's the difference. I got out on a Wednesday afternoon, And I did not take a drink, which is an absolute goddamn miracle. I went to a very powerful men's stag called the Junkyard Dogs. Eight o'clock, 80 of these, on a Wednesday night, 80 of these men were outside the meeting hall, smoking cigarettes and fags, having coffee, having a good time. Dozens of them were properly armed with the facts about themselves and the illness of alcoholism. I went straight up to one of these men who meant business, said, Mike, I just got out again today. I am going to drink tonight. You know it. I know it. What do I need to do, man? And he looked at me and said, Holy shit, Darren, are you sober right now? I said, Yep. He'd never seen me barely sober that whole year. He said, Oh my God, Darren, let's get into action. Normally we do some reading. We might do the 60 pages, the ABCs. He said, let's do a third-step prayer right now. Listen, I don't pray, dude. I definitely don't pray on my knees. I hate religion. I don't have a God and I don't want one. I said, what do you mean, Mike, in front of these 80 men? And he says, yeah. And I said, okay. I said, okay, because the no had been beaten out of me. Darren wasn't too cool for school anymore. Darren was about to conform to the process. We hit our knees in front of everybody. We did a third step prayer. I went into that meeting. I went home from that meeting and I wrote 100 names on my resentment inventory. Passed out, came through the next morning, shaking and baking still, and I wrote 100 more names. I was going to drink. I called this man. It wasn't even 6 a.m. And he answered the phone, gave me my next column, and saved my life. I will forever try and repay this man, what he did for me. I called him 12 times that day to finish all three inventories. I went to his house the next day and we did my fifth step. It was like three and a half hours. He sent me home for my hour of review and he gave me a big hug and said, Darren, fuck, this has never happened to me before, man. This is amazing. I said, I'm glad you feel good, Mike. I feel like shit, dude. He said, oh, don't worry. Trust in the process. The next day we did six and seven. The next day I transferred my list. I already had my list. I already had it. It was there. I transferred it. And then I added to my list. On my fourth or fifth day, I went around Santa Barbara and I made 21 amends or some outrageous number. 21 amends. I was lit up like a Christmas tree. I was rocketed into the fourth dimension. My little English heart filled up so much, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what to do with it. Everything made sense. I'm like, oh, my God. This is why those crazy fucks love Alcott's Anonymous. This is why some of them have commitment at the meeting and service positions and why they sponsor people. This is why they say they're a grateful alcoholic. Now, there's a lot of miserable bastards in AA and all who probably haven't done the steps or don't want to or whatever the story is, but those with a grateful full heart will know exactly what I mean, and everything made sense. I thought this is why my mum goes to church on a Sunday morning. It most boring hour of my life, unfortunately, but it must fill her little heart. And it made sense. I got up the next day and I went to Foodland Liquor Store. I said, I need to speak to the manager. I said, hey, sir, I live less than one block away from you and I've been stealing vodka from your store for well over a year. I said, it comes to $2,750. I will never steal from you or anyone else ever again. I'm living my life a different way. I said, it's Friday. I just started work just a couple of days ago for the first time in years. There's $25, sir. I said, I'll be back every Friday with $25 until I've paid that whole amount off and any interest you determine. I said, is there anything else I can do to make this right? And he looked at me and he went, wow. And I looked back at him and said, wow. And I floated off to make some more financial amends. I couldn't believe how good it felt to give you your money back. I said to my sponsor, what's next? He said, oh, my God, Darren, this has never happened to me before. Steps 10 and 11. I said, 10 and 11, what's that? He said, yeah, step 10, I'll show you what to do right here, right now for step 10, to postpone the punishment of. Step 11, sandwiches the day, I'll show you what to do for two minutes in the morning and two minutes at night. I'm all, two minutes, two minutes, postpone the punishment of. He already knew I was a recovered alcoholic. He said, yeah, you're already praying your little English ass off. You need to add two minutes of meditation. Now, I call this the guaranteed version of sobriety. Guaranteed. I can't skip a fifth step because I've got ADHD. I can't skip a ninth step because I just don't feel like doing it. I don't know when it became okay to skip an 11th step. And my sponsor knew I was the worst drunk he'd ever met as well said, so Darren, if you do all these things, you can stay sober one day at a time for the rest of your life. And I'm like, oh, my God, two minutes, two minutes. Weren't you being punished? Postpone the punishment of oh, the last few months of, and years of my drinking was a living, torturous hell. And I get to postpone that one day at a time. I said to him, I am in, dude. I am in. I am sold on the plan outlined in this book. Now, it's not like I like meditation. I don't, I dislike it just like you do. And Emily hates it too. It's taken me 19 years, 19 years to go from two minutes meditation to 10 minutes meditation, 19 years. But God loves him a little tryer. God loves him a little fucking tryer. My God, my God is laughing his bearded ass off at me down in my bedroom, doing my shitty prayer meditation laughing his ass off he is, going, look at that little fuck down there. Look at that little fuck doing his shitty prayer meditation. And he, then he says, and you know what? And that wanker's no good at it as well. But then he says, you know what? You know what, chick? Give that little Englishman another day of sobriety. That's what my God's like. He's cool as fuck. He doesn't care I'm a potty mouth man from Manchester. He cares about my actions he cares about my helping others, which I do relentlessly, relentlessly. Dude, steps 10 and 11 are the keys to the kingdom. Steps 10 and 11 are so simple, you won't do it. Isn't that the truth? Only an alcoholic will burn his life to the ground, come running to a 12-step program just to resist the 12 steps. What is wrong with us? And I've got, I'm all in, dude. i got to work a hell of a program just to feel normal. A hell of a program just to feel normal. I sponsor so many people in Santa Barbara and go to do so much AA. I should be the Dally fucking llama or some shit. But no, I do all that just to be another bozo on the bus. And I'll finish with this story. We have entered the world of the spirit. Bree's story about Heather was a perfect example of we have entered the world of the spirit. Dude, I love this shit. This is the best soap opera in town, Alcott's Anonymous. Come and get excited and get into action. You'll see your guys recover. You'll see these amazing things. The reason we do this, the payoff is a full heart. A full heart and having spiritual awakenings, and we have entered the world of the spirit moments. One of them for me was I was speaking at a huge uh, conference uh, for young peoples of Alcott's Anonymous. I think it was 2013 or 2014, Akipa this was in san jose in the bay area right three thousand of these young maniacs have taken over this hilton complex now i'm the cl- now many of them ended up in hospital having overdose on red bull but it's okay it's okay they were put on a monster drip don't worry about it now i'm the closeout speaker and so a lot of these little folks have gone home which made my resentment inventory and so i'm the closeout speaker it's a sunday morning I'm on the I'm on sat on the stage, 800 people or whatever is looking at us. There's a girl next to me, and she's busy. Now we're about to give a talk, and she's on her phone. She's texting. I think that's fucking super rude, right? But it's none of my business, of course. So I get involved right away. What the fuck are you doing, like? She, she's texting. She's having a problem. Her sponsor. We're in the Bay Area. We've never met. I'm in Santa Barbara. She's texting her sponsor in LA. Her sponsor got sober 21 years previously with 20 others in his co-ed sobriety house. All the others, apart from two of them, got drunk or died. All of them. This guy at 90 days sober moved to Maui, Hawaii, got involved in AA, raised his his two kids, his two boys, aged uh, 20 and 19. They are on the mainland at school, at a college somewhere, dying of alcoholism. And, and so he texts the only person who sells a number on the mainland. She texts the girl next to me and she said, Well, can I give them your number? I'm looking for a man's number. I said, Of course. Exchange the numbers. We give our talks. Everything goes great. Now I'm bombing it home on the freeway with my guys who are took to the conference with me. Now, anybody that speaks out of town they'll know this. You always take your toughest guys with you. Thanks, Nick. Onto uh, to anywhere that you're going to speak, right? You take all the tatted up fools. You know what I mean? Well, you never know what's going to happen. You might run into some of them any fuckers. You know what I mean? Now, we're driving down the freeway, and I call. I remember to call this guy, and I puts him on speakerphone. He answers the phone, and I say, it's Darren, and he just starts crying. He just starts crying. He can't catch his breath. I said, it's okay, man. It's such a moment of humility. I wanted to cry, but I'm with me tough guys, and I look over, and I'm like, wait a minute. Are you fucking crying? This guy with tattoos on his neck crying. I look in the mirror. The guys behind me are crying. So you got tattoos on your face, you pussy. What are you all crying for? We're all crying. And then the guy answers, the guy catches his breath and said, Darren, I've never asked for anything. off anybody in Alcott's Anonymous except if the hand of it, my boys need AA, please let the hand be there. And I said, dude, I'm in. I'm plugged in. What state are they in? I'll try and find you. He said, they both attend Santa Barbara City College. I said, I work at Santa Barbara City College. We have entered the world of spirit. I go there, I meet with both those young men. One becomes a great member of the junkyard dogs and the other one is dying of untreated alcoholism. The yin and the yang of alcohol anonymous. I'll leave you with this. If you're struggling with God, especially if you're new, maybe think of this. Religion might be for those people that are trying to avoid going to hell. Spirituality is for people that have been to hell. Thank you all very much.